Brother Nolan, what a glorious thought. Without the blood, there is no remission of sin. What a sad day it is when so many are insistent on removing out of the hymn books uh, the songs that refer to the blood. Boy, if you have a bloodless religion, you don't have salvation. Open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. And uh, all morning long, I've, I've thought about the message today. And this, this is one of those times when you, you feel like you need a, an entire sermon as an introduction to, to what you are going to be preaching about. And I promise I'm not going to do that to you, but, but we do need to look at the background of what this chapter is all about. Several years ago, I preached a series of messages entitled Miracles with a Message. And I went through all of the miracles recorded in the Gospel of John. And what we need to realize is that John did not try to cover all of the miracles that happened. And when we turn to chapter 6, understand that there's already been other miracles that have happened. Matthew and, and Mark, they, they cover them, and Luke, some of them. And so when we pick up here, there's a lot of things that has already happened. And you might be wondering, well, what was the purpose of John not making mention of all of them? Because all of them had some message. But in the last two verses of chapter 20, he explains that for us. He says, you know, there are many other things that the Lord had done, many signs and wonders, you know, the miracles. But these, what he has written, these I've written that you might believe. That was the, that was the spirit-motivated goal of his heart, is to bring unbelievers to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we come to chapter number 6, it seems like everything's going great. Because in the first part of the chapter here, we see the Lord feeding the multitude. And uh, all of a sudden, there's a lot of excitement on the part of the people. I mean, who does that? Who's able to, you know, take two little fishes and pieces of bread and feed thousands of people? Who can do that? Well, the answer is nobody can but the Lord. And they're excited about this fellow. They begin to, and I say this fellow, I didn't mean that disrespectfully. I'm looking at it through their eyes. We've never seen anybody like this. We've never heard anybody speak like he does. This man's unlike anybody that, that we've ever met. And so they were determined that we're going to make him our king. Well, sounds like a pretty good idea, except for the fact that the Roman government is the ruling king. And secondly, this was not the Lord's plan at that time in his ministry. He didn't come to set up a kingdom upon this earth when he came the first time. He'll do that someday. But that wasn't his intent. Secondly, it would have brought a heap of problems upon them. Because after this miracle and they're putting pressure on him to, 
to set up his kingdom and overthrow the Roman government. And so the Lord left them, he left the multitude. He sent the disciples on ahead, said, I'll see you later. They went across the sea. He said, of course, nobody knew how he was going to get there, but he did. He had it all figured out, and uh, he left the multitude. Well, why would he do that? Well, for one thing, he was protecting those apostles, those 12 men, because the wrath of the Roman government would have no doubt come down upon them if this mob had stormed into the city saying, hey, we've got a new king here. We can get rid of Caesar now. We've got, we've got our own king and start a revolution. That, that wasn't going to fly. And so the Lord had a purpose in leaving the multitude. It wasn't that he didn't care about them, but he knew things that they didn't know. But somewhere or another, they follow him over there. They have a dogged determination. And so beginning in verse number 22, we see the Lord uh, teaching his followers and uh, exposing their folly, explaining his plan. And all of a sudden, they begin to realize there's more to this man that, that, that we have that we have imagined because instead of him setting up a kingdom, delivering us from the Roman government, he's talking about spiritual things. He begins to talk about eating his flesh and drinking his blood and things of that nature. And he makes the statement that he is the bread of life. He is the living bread. He said, look, it wasn't Moses that gave you that bread in the wilderness. It wasn't Moses. Oh, Moses was God's servant, but Moses didn't provide that bread in the wilderness. Who did? Well, it was the Lord. He said, I'm that true and that living bread. Now, now this, it begins a, uh, begins a squabble amongst the people. And it's about to lead to a, a riot, you might say. And I want you to notice in verse number 60. Many, therefore, of his disciples, and I want you to I want you to understand a disciple is someone who is a learner or a follower. It's somebody that's learning or following. Many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured as it, uh, uh, at it, he said unto them, doth this offend you? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, and the flesh profiteth nothing. Now the reason he said that is because they've just experienced that. What they want is more miracles and somebody to feed them, especially the way he did. And he says it's the Spirit that quickens, is made alive, not the, not the flesh. He said, the words I speak unto you, they are spirit and life. But there are some of you that believe not. Now remember, these people are professing to be disciples now. They're following him. And he says, there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. Here it is. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. 
Now notice our text this morning, verse 67. And then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Will ye also go away? Now as we look back at what I've just read, going back to verse 60, if we look back there, we see this, this question anticipated. I mean, you, you can expect something like this in light of what is just having people declaring publicly even that we are, we're His disciple, the, the miracle worker, the one that can give us bread, the one who has come as the King and is going to deliver us from the iron heel of Roman oppression. We're His followers. If you'd ask them what religion they were, they'd have said, we follow Him. They're disciples in that sense. But now he's speaking to what? The apostles. And there's a big difference there. The 12 apostles. By the way, the 12 apostles constituted the first church. The Lord established the church with those apostles. And if you've never thought of it before, by the way, there's never been a perfect church, has there? You'll see that later. There will be someday, but no perfect churches. Think about the importance of this question. And think about how it must have shocked these men here, I mean, to the very core of their being. Why would Jesus ask a question like that? I mean, this is an emotional moment uh, for all of them, and, and it's a turning point in our Lord's ministry because these two events here has suddenly changed the attitude of all those great many who had professed to be followers of him. And he has refused to lead them in the revolution against the Romans. Uh, he's refused to be their entertainer, just performing miracles because it draws the crowd. He's refused that. So notice 66. And walked no more with him. They, they were more interested in miracles than they were the Messiah. The other day I walked in the living room and Bev was just starting to watch a, uh, I don't know exactly what you would call it, but someone who was exposing a, a, a number of these uh, heretic preachers uh, just gave one after the other and then played some of the things that these preachers are preaching that they believe. And I, the shocking thing to me is that in each and every case, we're talking about men who are pastoring churches that are running in the thousands. And she and I sat there and talked a little while about the fact of how easily people are to be deceived. I've always said, if you want to, you want to start a church or a movement of any kind, all you got to do is get out on church corner or a street corner, yell loud enough, long enough, and after a while you'll get a following. Somebody will follow you. We live in a day where churches will break their neck doing just about anything and everything just to get a crowd. Jesus, my, if, 
he wanted to break the record attendance, that was real easy. Just keep working those miracles. You would think, though, that people would be more interested in the Messiah than they would in the miracles, but that's not the case with these people. So in anticipation of this question here, we see him actually asking it, will you also go away? This is, this is the question directed to the apostles. Notice he doesn't say anything here about those that had turned back other than will you also go away, you know, like them. But he didn't say anything. He didn't say, oh, wait a minute. Let me explain myself. I, wait, you've misunderstood me. Don't, don't leave. You know, today we'd say we've got we to do a large uh, advertising campaign on TV. We've got to do something to get those people back. They've misunderstood. We want them back here. You, you might think with some preachers, they would have been running down the road trying to catch those people and bring them back. The Lord doesn't say a word to them because the Lord knew what was in their heart. Like the old saying, a man persuaded against his will is of the same opinion still. And the Lord knew that. I, I can guarantee you, if he said, if you folks will just come back, if you'll stick with me, if you'll hang around a while longer, I'm getting ready to perform some more miracles. They'd have probably stayed. But when he started talking about spiritual things, and he being the only one who could provide their spiritual needs, that's when they hit the road. They made the choice to reject him. And that's exactly what a lot of people do today. In every generation there are those that instead of putting their spiritual interest ahead of everything else, they're, well, it's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we might die. Kind of sounds like the way it was back before the flood, doesn't it? Will ye also go away? Think about it. These men have already left everything to follow him. I mean, that, that's what the Bible tells us. They left all to follow him. They, they've been with him wherever he went. I mean, in my mind, haven't they proven themselves? Now he's questioning them. This is not an accusation by him by the way. He's not accusing them of that. He's getting them to look into their own heart and, and, and to make a statement of commitment. What, what are you going to do? Oh, you, you say, well, I'd never do what so-and-so did. Well, the Bible says pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. By the way, at this point in the story, we'll get to it here in a little bit. At this point in the story here, little did they know what Judas was going to do. Will ye also go away? 
You want to leave me like those others left me? Look, it's their choice, right? The Lord doesn't force anyone against their will. It's their choice whether they're going to be a follower or not. Let me tell you, that's a question that deserves an answer. This is not some rhetorical question. He's not just making conversation here. He's not saying that in in an effort to shame those who went away. He's expecting an answer. And they needed to they needed to make a statement of commitment on their part. What are they going to do? The Lord's looking for followers who will not be shaken whenever they're confronted by difficulties. He's looking for people that will follow him without any question, without any hesitation, without any reservation. And that's why he always was honest and upfront about the demands of discipleship. He said, look, if you're going to follow me, it's, it's going to cost you everything. You, you may not have a home, a pillow to lay your head on. It, it's going to be an expensive proposition. And that's what he expected. And that was too much for some. But these men up to this point have proven themselves. It's as though he's saying, I need you to verbally commit. Are, Are you going to go away like the others? Is it going to happen to you? Keep in mind, the Lord knows. He, he knew exactly what was going to happen to Judas. He knew exactly what was going to happen with the other 11. He's very much aware of that. He's trying to get the wheels in their mind turning. Will you also leave? Well, that was, you know, you remember what happened to Peter. Peter failed miserably. He didn't think he'd ever do that. Peter was the one who was going to defend him when the Lord said, you know, he's going to be taken and he's going to crucify him, but he'll be raised again the third day. And they they didn't hear that evidently. And there in the garden when they came to arrest the Lord, all of a sudden the crackling of the underbrush, the flickering of the torches, and here they come. Judas betrayed him with a kiss. Peter drew out the sword and said, hey, this ain't going to happen. I'm not going to let this go through. And yet it was Peter himself who later failed the Lord. The little woman seen him over there by the fire and they said, he's one of them. He's one of them. Peter said, oh, I, I, no, I don't know him. I, and I, in other words, he's going to defend the Lord if he could use the sword, evidently, but he didn't have the guts to stand up for the Lord there while he's warming himself at the fire. So there's a lot to be said in regards to this, and at this point, the Lord speaking to them is saying, I want, I want a commitment. I want to hear you make a verbal commitment. And doesn't the Bible say it? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And we ought to say so. Now notice, I want you to look at the question here as it's answered 
in verse 68 and verse 69. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Good for you, Peter. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. You get an A+. Plus. It's about time, you know, that something started going right. The crowd's leaving. Don't you notice three things about, about what he says here? First of all, he uses an expression of allegiance. He says, Lord, this very first word, Lord, and he's expressing the fact it's not just being mannerly like we talked about last week. He's recognizing the Lord for who he is. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Let me tell you, those who would reject Christ need to stop and to think, where are you going to go? To whom shall we go? Where are you going to go? What about, maybe you'll find the answers to all of your questions in the writing of those heathen philosophers who wrote so much that supposedly were so brilliant that stretched their imagination. I'll never forget one day standing right back there about in the middle. It wasn't during the service. And talking to a man who eventually, who eventually anyway, uh, came for membership. Eventually. At that point in time, he was telling me about his beliefs about religion and named off philosophers and so forth that he had read, some of them I'd never even heard of. Everything imaginable in search for trying to find the real answer to this question about heaven and hell and salvation and damnation. You'd be surprised how many people out there, they know something's missing in their life there's that empty void that nothing can fill. And they don't know where, where to find it. And so they look to this philosopher and that philosopher. Some turn to the scientists looking for the explanation for everything. Oh, they've got it all figured out. Or at least they hope they do. Maybe one of these days there will be a vaccine to where we can live forever and not die. Oh yeah, by the way, there, there are billions of dollars being spent on research work for that very thing. That really think, we can grow new hearts, new lungs, new liver, we can grow all that, your heart go out, just put your body in the garage and we'll give you a new one. Billions of dollars being spent on that kind of nonsense. Or you can join up with the Pharisees. Choose tradition over truth. That's what most of the Jews in that day, I mean, 
The Pharisees really were the top notch. That's as good as you can get in their thinking. To whom shall you go? They could have said, well, I, I think the Pharisees got it right. My, you know, Mom and Dad, Grandma and Grandpa, they, they, they all believed they had it right. Lord, we're, we're just going to leave you and go, go to them. We think maybe you've taken this a step too far. That's not what they said, thank God, but that's the way some people thought. So to whom are you going to go trying to fill that void in your life? The astronomers, are you going to go to them? Do you think the answer is all up there in the stars? I'll grant you the heavens are marvelous. It's all the handiwork of God. The stars are marvelous. I remember hearing a preacher preach about all the answers, a Baptist preacher about all of the, supposedly the gospel and all that's written in the stars, and I felt like puking. By the way, there's information in the stars. There's no doubt about that. God intended we learn some things. I don't doubt that, but there are people and have been for thousands of years who believe the answer's all in the stars. Are you going to turn to astrology to to fill that empty place in your life? Or what about religion? Try some religion. I mean, attend a Baptist church for a while. You, know, you don't particularly like that. So you run to one, run to the other. So something You find something that you like. Well, let me tell you, you might find something that you like that won't help you. That's the problem going on today. People trying to please themselves instead of trying to please God. And that's what the humanists believe. They, the humanists, they believe that our destiny is in our own hands. That give us enough time, enough money, we're humans. We, we'll figure it all out and we'll work through all of these problems. So where are you going to go if you don't go to Christ? And you need to think about that. Because there's no one else that has all of the answers to the important things in life. It was Jesus who said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am a way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And notice this next phrase in our text here and, and showing, showing Peter's awareness of the fact he says, thou hast the words of eternal life. Somebody give that guy a, a pat on the back. He, he's got it right. Amen. Jesus had just said, go back to verse 47. This is what Jesus said. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Verse 51, he said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. And if any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And this is Peter's way of saying Amen. That's right. That's what we believe. And then here in verse 69 is his assertion. And we believe, and I love this, and are sure. He, just, he didn't say, and we believe and go on. He said, oh, we believe and we are sure. A lot of folks say you can't be sure about anything. 
but that you sure can't be sure about whether you're going to heaven or not. Well, I got news for you. You can be, you ought to be, and if you are, you will be. John says these things have I written that you may know, and Paul certainly made it clear that I know in whom I have believed. He didn't have any doubts about it. That was a settled matter. This is a declaration of faith that, that Peter is making here and is showing us the doctrine of his faith, you might say. We know in that, that are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, the depth of that we believe and we are sure. Absolutely convinced, no doubt about it. We know who you are. We know what you do. Let's go back to our beginning question there. Will ye also go away? I'm talking to you now. The matter with Peter, and notice he's speaking for the others because he assumes they all believe exactly like he does. He's speaking for all of them. We're... We're sure, Lord, we're certain that we got this nailed down. We got it right. But I'm talking about what about you that have made a profession of faith like those, what were they? Disciples, right? Even the Bible says they were those disciples that followed him. That great crowd of disciples. People talk about the Lord not being able to attract a big crowd that never was his problem they called themselves and they were known as the disciples and it says then they went back and followed him no more what about you here this morning are you one of those kind of disciples that will go back and follow him no more It happens, listen folks, it's real easy. It's real easy to convince other people that we're born again Christians. That it's easy if they don't, or they're not able to observe our lives when we're away from church. Now notice in verse 70, this is how it all ends. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. You've got to believe this is a shocking statement, revelation to all of those other apostles I mean, whenever the Lord said, one of you is going to betray me, and there, there, Lord, is, is it I? Notice there's not any evidence anywhere that anyone suspected Judas. They trusted him. He's the treasurer of that first church. He's got the money bag. Everybody trusted him. I'm not going to go into all of the arguments and discussions and so forth about why the Lord allowed one of them 
to be a betrayer and be chosen as a part of that at first church. But there's a good reason for it. You better believe it because he did it. And if there wasn't any other reason, it fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy in regards to the friend who would betray him. Counterfeit Christian. Think about it. He's been following Jesus now like these three years. He heard him preach. Have you ever thought about how wonderful it would have been to be able to, I mean, to actually have been there and listen to our Lord preach? Just to watch, watch him preach, hear those words, and to see the miracles that he did. How is it that Judas could not be a true believer. How, how is that possible? It goes to show us one thing, regardless of what happens, including the resurrection of Christ, some will not believe. He's been raised from the dead, and, and yet we have counterfeit Christians their faith is a fake. Their profession is phony. I remember preaching a message several years ago about just like Jonah and the faults that Jonah had. Well, you could title this message just like Judas. Because believe it or not, there are those just like Judas. They might not do all of the same things he did and no doubt you know the story. It didn't end all that well for him, did it? He sold our Lord for 30 pieces of silver. Betrayed the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. For 30 pieces of silver. He has all of this evidence that he is indeed the Messiah and he just rejects all of that. So many people say, I'm not like you Christians just have this blind faith. You, you, uh, listen, our faith isn't blind at all. Our faith is based on facts. Amen. That's right. That's right. And we have the facts right here in the Word of God. But wow, Judas was really there. He heard the Lord speak. How could he not be a believer? If you walk away from Christ, let me ask you, where are you going to go? Where are you going to search for help? Who are you going to look to? How will you ever satisfy that deepest need that is in your heart? And believe me, if you're not a Christian, deep down, if you'll be honest, you know something's missing in your life. You know it. As somebody said, God put a God-shaped blank within every person. And until the Lord fills it, they'll never be 
really satisfied in life. That's something that he can only do. And if you walk away from him, there's nowhere else to turn. He's the only one that can forgive you of your sins. Do you have anybody here this morning that doesn't have any sins that, that ever needed to be forgiven? Oh, you, we know better than that. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Does it bother you? Does it trouble you that you've sinned in some way? Can you honestly say, I don't need any forgiveness from anyone? Well, you sure do, whether you realize it or not. But if, if you don't go to Christ, where will you go to receive forgiveness? Not only forgiveness, but to be de delivered from your sin. Because there are a lot of folks living in bondage to a, a particular sin. They might not be slitting throats or robbing banks or but some particular sin that they are addicted to. Who are you going to go to if you don't go to Christ? And who else is able to transform your mind and to change your, your very character, who you are? Who else is able to, to enable you to overcome all of, your, all of your doubts about life and all of your fears? And who else can give you assurance of heaven? Whether you want to believe it or not, one of these days, your heart's going to stop beating. You're going to start, stop breathing. They're going to take you out of the cemetery, dig a hole six foot in the ground, and put you in it and throw dirt in your face. But that's just your body because your soul will still exist for all of eternity in heaven or in hell. Where are you going to go for assurance of heaven if you don't turn to Christ? Where are you going to go to find someone to answer your prayers? Anybody here that could honestly say, I don't, I don't have anything to pray about. I've, life's good. You know better than that. If you don't now, wait a few days or weeks and You'll get a bad diagnosis or something will happen and all of a sudden you'll need somebody to help you. And I'm telling you, the only one that can really help you in your hour of need is Christ. And we have promise after promise after promise in this blessed old book that assures us that God hears and answers the prayers of his people. You say, well, I'm a Christian, but he never answered my prayer. He didn't give me what I wanted. Well, maybe not, but he gave you what you needed. He gave you something better than what you wanted. That's the point. Who are you going to turn to if you don't turn to Christ? Do you know you'd go to heaven if you died today? Thinking about this message all week, and I, the toughest part is coming down to this point. To where you know that you might be looking in the face of someone you know and someone that you love. Could in some cases be a member of, your, of my own family. And to think that they can fool me, they can fool everybody else, but they can't fool Jesus.
and they end up being just like Judas. Oh, I don't mean you would sell the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. You're better than that. Or are you? I don't know what all was going through the mind of Judas. I, I don't know whether maybe he had good intentions at one point, but I know that he, he certainly was not born again. Jesus said, I'm the bread of heaven. You eat of this bread, you'll never get hungry again. I'll satisfy. I'm the water of life. Drink of this water, you'll never get thirsty again. There's never been a minute since I got saved that I felt like I needed to be saved. Why would I feel like I need to be saved when the Lord already saved me? Why would I feel a spiritual hunger for salvation when I ate of the bread of life way back then. And listen, he, he satisfies us in a way that nobody else can. Whatever you do, don't, don't walk away from him today. Just because you've convinced maybe everybody else that you are, you're a true disciple. Doesn't matter what anybody else believes. It's what the Lord believes, what the Lord knows. Would you trust him today? Maybe you are a true believer, but you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But it might be one of those times, just like with Peter and the others, that we need to make a verbal commitment that I know who the Lord is. I haven't served him like I should. But by the grace of God, I'm going to start doing it today. You got any idea what a change that will make, not only in your life, but in the life of your loved ones? Those closest to us are the most observant of our faults and failures. That's why it's so hard for people to win their own family members to Christ. They know too much about us. Don't let your stubborn pride keep you from getting what you need more than anything else, and that's Jesus. Let's all stand together. Brother David's going to come, and the musicians, and we're going to sing a verse of invitation. Father, I pray that you'll use the truth of your word, the power of your spirit to speak to hearts today. Lord, please help each and every one to understand that it's not my intent to accuse anyone here today of being unsaved. Because I'm, I'm not you, Lord. I, I don't have all of the facts. I don't know all of the answers. But Lord, deep down in their heart, they know something's wrong in their life. They didn't set out to be a hypocrite or a phony or anything like that. It just, it just kind of evolved. Everybody accepted them as being someone that's born again, and they're just going with that.
But deep down in their heart, if they're honest, they don't even know they'd go to heaven if they died today. And how awful it is for anyone to live another day with that horrible feeling. God, may they trust you right here, right now, this morning. And we promise we'll give you alone the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen.